Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right. How are we? After our seven minutes. After our seven minutes. Oh, fabulous. Thank you. How are you guys? So good. Yeah. Have you had a little something to eat or something to uh, drink? Still. Or are you still on your, are you still eating? They're, they're still eating their snacks. I had a couple of sweet potato crisps, uh, sorry, chips, but Tony hadn't eaten dinner, so he seems to be waiting for me, even though I said we're doing back-to-backs and probably wouldn't be finished till later. But that's Okay. I've fasted for the last 24 hours. I can fast for another hour and a half. Is that right? And still smile. Did you not eat at all yesterday? Mm-hmm. No, I eat at night and then I don't eat during the day at all. So it's almost a 24-hour oh, fast okay, by right. the time yep. I get there. Yep, yep. Wow, you are a machine. Yeah. So. I would stab someone. <laughs> Who are we? I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are... Trial, Trial by, by Wine. Wine. And... What are we drinking? Oh, for, for um, sound effects, I'm going to surprise you all with a massive. Ooh. <laughs> Not Coke Zero. Yeah, little Coke Zero, nice one. What about you, Clarky and Wu, are you uh, still working on the non-alcoholic rosé or are you moving on to something no, no, sturdier? So I'll tell you what we're going to move on to. Hmm. But first up, I would like to just review, uh, I'll give you a different <laughs> perspective on the non-alcoholic rosé. So yeah. When I reviewed it, I reviewed it from the point of view of someone who was about to drink wine Mm. and it probably isn't what I would want from a wine. But after having drunk half a bottle each of it, in terms of if you actually don't want to drink alcohol, Mm. often your options are super sweet drinks Mm -hmm. or just flavourless drinks. Or water, yeah. Mm. It's actually quite a good alternative to sit there and just sip at that because you're not going to get that sugar addiction and scull it or whatever. You're just going to have sips of it. So I actually think it's quite a good drink, to be honest, um, albeit not, not what I would use to substitute wine but use it to substitute um, not soft drinking drink. or, you know, drinking with your friends kind of thing. So if you don't want to, yeah, don't want to drink soft drink. There you go. So you can sponsor us non-alcoholic wine producers because we found a way to rationalise it. (laughs) What about you, Schmitty? Clarky's face suggests that he's not really that keen. I'm halfway through the my wine allocated mango charts, but I did pour myself at 150 calories Mm. a uh, (gasps) glass of Saint Hilaire sparkling. I think it's a Blanc de Blanc from France. And that's my allocation after I finish. Oh, well done, darling. Having not been, having not eaten anything, you'll be shit faced. You're a cheap date tonight. Here we go. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be fun. Um, What's funny because I was going to get myself a drink as well. I've got these lovely new glasses that I bought because we our friends who love gin and tonics, but they're like on a stem and a big fat bowl, and I can fill it with lots of ice and lime and soda, but. to give the story away, I'm going to be the one who's doing the story. I would have been clinking too much and it would have driven you all crazy. Okay. So I will save it for another time. But that's my latest thing. Especially what's really hot over here. I'm loving that. Mm, Beer glass. You're a good egg. But I don't Any have gin. I have um, well? vodka and uh, vodka lime soda I'm having in them. 
They're really yummy. Yeah, nice. I'm disappointed that you think clinking is an issue. What, when I make all these other noises that I make? Clinking, <laughs> I snort all the way through it. We sip and slurp. Yeah. Well, I'd let's like see how see I go. You maybe. On it. Okay, well, maybe we can get to I a point of clinking. Clink away. Yeah. No, I haven't had a drink for a while. Not on here. Get I, on it. Get on it. Get on it. We can pause. Oh, we gosh. can wait. Bit, what now? There's nothing like peer pressure, huh? Look, we get started. We'll need a wee break because you'll have your champagne. I'll go straight through you. And then I will go and get on it. All right. You're going to be like dancing around, Mrs. After your little some bowls get hot from the half chutney. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. What have you got for us? Well, I do have a story, as I've alluded to, and how I came about looking into this crime was a family friend of ours must have watched a documentary sometime over Christmas. And <laughs> thank God, I thought you were going to say no. Was a family friend of ours committed it? And he. <laughs> He and I have quite similar interests in crime and music and generally if I like something, I'll say to him, you should have a look at this and vice versa. You know, he did tell me, but, you know, there was so much stuff going on at the time I didn't didn't get a chance to have a look. So this might have been a month or so ago. And the other night I was looking at, I'm looking at another crime that's for cruise month, which we might have to extend. And <laughs> I was just thinking Cruzier. about something in the back of my head. I thought, what did Willie tell me? So I went and had a look and that's how I've come uh, come into contact, come into um, contact with this particular story. And what I've done is I've started with watching the documentary and worked back from there. So it was a crime that I was somewhat familiar with. I think you'll both know about it as well. I think a lot of people know about it. But where it fell down for me was I've realised that the time this crime happened we were moving from Europe to Australia. And right. in the months that sort of where it played out, I remember it being background noise in the press, but I didn't really ever engage with the story. So going in, I knew it involved a submarine and a Dane and a journalist. But beyond that, I really didn't know any of the details. And yeah, I have no idea really? what you're talking about. You're yeah. such was a Dane the Dane was not great, trust me. And I know we some great Danes. Waka, 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 waka. So my sources for today's story are the BBC, Old Mate, Wikipedia, The Guardian, The Sydney Morning Herald, Wired and <laughs> Netflix and a documentary that really is where I started and it did really sort of get me very interested and it was called Into the Deep and the subhead is <laughs> the submarine murder case. <laughs> so just in case you're wondering what might happen, I think, I think what I might do is I might start God. at the end. And then go back. So, does someone murder the submarine, or does the submarine? Yeah, someone murder does murder someone. the submarine. Actually, that's it. Does actually it does actually happen? Right. Yeah. So this and is by murder a submarine. Do we mean sink? Yes, you do. <laughs> anyway, it's called. Uh, right. There's a word for it. I've, I've got. I've written it down. I've got. Is there really a word for yes, sinking there a submarine? Is. And you'll know it, which isn't just sinking it. Uh, yeah. Scuttled. Scuttled. Oh, scuttle, yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Because I only I read the day. you can scuttle a boat, though. Oh, you can yes. scuttle yeah, yeah, yeah. a ship. Any vessel. Yeah. Yeah. And you know how there's yeah. – oh, this is so embarrassing. I cannot believe I'm saying this. But you know how there's all those memes that say I was today years old when I found out? Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I had never given any thought. You know how sometimes it's just that you've never thought about it? It's not like I wasn't – I thought about it and thought that can't be true. It just never, never crossed my mind. I've never thought yeah, of this. yeah, yeah. So I do know that there is a Rolex Submariner watch, you know, so I'd never realised, because I'd never thought about it, that a Submariner is a submarine driver. 
or you know, like a racing car driver or a pilot or whatever else, a submariner. I just thought it was the name of a watch that I didn't really give him much thought to. I'm so embarrassed. But anyway, there you go. Do you want me to edit that out? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. How embarrassing is that? I looked at it and I went, oh, yeah, of course. But I just never thought about it. Shmita, your next question should be, how much are you willing to pay? No, it's all right. <laughs> I, look, I, I don't think people it. give it a great deal of thought, but, yes, Submariner being under the sea. Yes, of course, I understand <laughs> that, but I'd never. <laughs> Why? But I, do you no, know what? I mean, Can I really watch. be, while we're really being honest? Yeah, go on. When I was yeah, Submariner, yeah. I just was, like, thinking it was diving. Submar- I wasn't thinking Submarine. Yeah. That's well, the only connection I made because I wouldn't imagine many people. leagues under the sea. It's not like, when, you know, we've gone to the yeah. Rolex shop and said, because the Submariner I know is a very popular brand it's not because people <laughs> wanting to take it down in a submarine it's because i figured in my mind I, I guess it's helpful for people if they dive or whatever else i don't know yeah yeah, yeah but there you go i never made that i never made the leap <laughs> from diving to being in a submarine <laughs> which i think well, is really good pressures as well when, yeah. when you guys were last in the rolex know. shop by the way which gets it's, it's yeah. not like when we go to the rolex store I'm like i don't go to the rolex store that rolex is like Hundreds of thousands of dollars. No, like, who goes to the Rolex shop? I, w- I was going to say, is it Summer. worse to say that you didn't even know that Rolex had a brand called Submariner? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much of a bigger asshole I can sound at this time, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and here I was worried that this might not be a terribly humorous story. I'm sorry. We're off to a good Rolex's. start. I'm sorry. <laughs> I never gonna, connected the Rolex name with real life. Yes, and I'm just going to point <laughs> out not that on JomaShop, on JomaShop.com, there is one for $230,800. What a submariner. A submariner, diamond, silver tone. Yeah, there you go. You don't, you don't, you don't have to have all the bejeweled bits and no, pieces. No, you're right. The non-bejeweled no. ones are a very cheap $58,000. I'm looking at the price point now. Fair enough. Anyway. It's, um, it's a lot like you to prove a point, Schmitty. I don't wear a watch anyway, so it's all moot. <laughs> it's exactly like me to prove a point, and you too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Swanee. No, that's okay. Please continue. Right, so three people that I'd like to introduce you to from the outset are a Danish inventor who was also considered to be a bit of an anti-establishment hero in Denmark, and his name is Peter Madsen. Then... Uh, another person I'd like to talk about is an Aussie filmmaker and her name is Emma Sullivan. And then finally, a Swedish journalist and her name is Kim Wall. And it's sort of their take and their story that I will be sharing with you today. So I'm going to start with Peter Madsen. And Peter um, was Mad bo- Dog Madsen. Well, he was a mad one, that's for sure. So mm-hmm. he was born in 1971. So I'll give us a bit of context in terms of, you know, Round about, nearly my age. age. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. same kind of thing. And he was born in Copenhagen in Denmark and he had... Copenhagen. He was was, um, the only child of a couple who'd got together who had already had had children and it wasn't a particularly good relationship and it didn't last very long. So when his mother and his father split, the three children from his mother's previous marriage went and lived with her and he lived with his father who was quite an older man. So from the age of about six, he was growing up with this this older man who had interests and the son sort of took on some of his father's interests in terms of engineering and rockets and he was a bit of a, you know, an ideas guy, a bit of an inventor. So while attending primary and secondary school in Denmark, 
Madsen developed an interest in rocket fuel with the help of chemistry and physics teacher Johann Fischer. He developed his first large rocket there and he launched it in 1986. Did you say it while in high school? Yeah, it was one metre tall. What did they teach at his high school? Rocket science. Rocket science. Yeah. Rocket fuel only, at high school. Yeah, but only if God, you did the rocket. I was going to say, only An if you did the rocket science stream, right? Because there Degree. was the brain surgery stream going on over in the other lab. Yeah. Didn't you have that at your high school? <laughs> also not. No, not at ours. <laughs> no. So he- we had the funny farm, which was the part of the classroom where all the naughty people had to sit. And yeah, then- I'm glad you said naughty you? then. I thought you were going to say something else. What did you think? Window lickers. Oh God! Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Go on. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Oh no! You mean kids from the blue bus? But you know, this is the thing. Every area, every place where people grow up, and because it's you know, we'd never say it now, but in Wollongong there was a place called Greenacres. So. Green Acres was the place if you had a mental um, delay and, you know, there was a sheltered workshop there. So mm. it was like, you know, if someone was giving you shit, oh, you go to Green Acres or whatever else. But at the same time, that was that show on TV, Green Acres is the place oh, yeah. to be. Yeah. So <laughs> the bright yeah. folk of Wollongong combined the two and, you know, if someone was really hating shit on you, they'd be singing you that song but meaning that you were... <laughs> A window liquor. I know. I thought you were going to say that was their advertising no. slogan. <laughs> no, it was just kids being assholes in playgrounds, you know. Yeah, Some right. things never change. The thing about the term window liquor and blue bus is that I always thought that they were kind of localised to. I presume blue bus yeah, is Mel- localised. I've never heard such a no, thing. No, no, yeah. I've, I've heard it in the UK as well. Certainly window liquors. And and Why was the bus blue? blue? Window liquors, no I get. The funny thing was I, when I went to high school, right, we were on Ryan's buses. They were always blue. So I don't know why we pick on blue buses because most buses are blue around this area. I do, you, do you want to tell her, Swanee, or should I? <laughs> You're so funny. Funny you should say that. Moving right along. <laughs> so his father died when he was just 18 years old and at that point he kind of moved out and was obviously living on his own. And he continued to experiment and consult, consult excuse me, engineers and his interests were very much in engineering and aeroscience and he joined the Dansk Amateur Racket Club, Dark, which was the rocket club in Copenhagen. The other members became a little bit more disillusioned with him because he was just a bit too crazy and they, they used to joke that the saying his name would start the fire sprinkler system, meaning that he was always pushing the boundaries. You know, we were talking about before he was interested in rocket fuel. His ideas yeah, were right. bigger, grander, more crazy, more yes. dangerous than their that the rest of them were quite prepared to go along with. Good old Mad Madsen. Correct. So he never finished his formal education and he took courses in welding and engineering to learn things, but he was never able to sort of actually finish a course. So he would start something, get a bit of knowledge, but had a lot of enthusiasm and, you know, a quite charismatic character. So I don't think that it was ever something that particularly held him back, but at, at times it would cause conflict with other people. So I think he had a bit of ADHD because he, so Mad he dog. just focused till he was interested and then yeah. left it. But mm. how did he pay for his lifestyle? How did he pay for this inventing or whatever else? Well, he was dead. getting financial support from other people who were either organisations or enterprises who were giving money or funding or whatever else because he was full of ideas, brim, brimming with enthusiasm. And I imagine that if you saw him, you'd think this guy could do something pretty amazing. So he was already starting to get a bit of a following even in the yeah, sort of right. early days. Yeah. He was married. His wife was a, worked in the film industry, I think, from memory. And 
they lived and built a workshop in a I've seen this place and the best way I could describe it is an industrial area that had been sort of decommissioned. So I think it was historically like a shipbuilding area on the outskirts of Copenhagen and then it had been sort of uh, repurposed by inventors and artists and people who were using sort of um, derelict workshops and factories and not factories, more workshop kind of things where there was infrastructure. Warehouse type things. Yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. So you could imagine, <laughs> to be honest, so much of this story is exactly what if I was what was the, word, the locations director for a Nordic noir film. Yeah. It was, it was perfect setting, like, you know, sort of bit desolate, bit of a mess, overgrown at points, you know, the crappy um, wrought iron like windows, um, yeah, wrought the, the wall and fences, you know, all that, not wrought corrugated iron, corrugated iron, iron all everywhere. that kind of really yeah. bit, very run down, puddles everywhere, grey, but that's Airport where West a lot of them were starting to the 80s. live yeah. and work and I think there was a little bit of a community there whereby he became somewhat of a figure to the people there and I, I don't quite know how he ended up with nationwide notoriety. I, I, I know why it comes a little bit later, but even in these early days, I can't get a feel for if he was already somewhat famous, infamous, well-known. But quite often I see him referred to as an entrepreneur, but I don't think he was an entrepreneur in the sense that he had money and backing a la Mr Branson. It was more a guy with big ideas and a, a quite a large profile for someone who really didn't have any money or anything and didn't have any formal education. I think education, a lot of entrepreneurs do, don't have do any up. money. They, yeah. they just talk other people into giving it to them. Correct. He yeah. was very much that person. Entrepreneur. Yeah. So in 2008, Madsen co-founded Copenhagen Suborbitals with a Danish architect called Christian von Benston. And I've also read that that guy had had NASA training. I, I don't quite know what that means. But the upshot was that there were these two brainy, brilliant guys who had this vision of making their own rocket. So they worked and lived, I think, in this area, which I'm going to say it wrong. I'm going to try it once. Ref Chalion, Ref Chalion, I think it is, which is this sort of like island, remote island that's somehow connected to Copenhagen but on the outskirts. So that's where they set up shop and... Madsen, whilst there, was responsible for creating and building a launch pad and booster rocket system. You know, I said earlier that yep. I didn't know this story and I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. Are you sure this isn't the precursor plot to a James Bond film? Because <laughs> that's what it sort of sounds like at this point in time. I'm pretty sure it's not. But, yes, yeah, so okay. I would say it's more, um, I don't know, it, it, I'll, I'll sort of get onto that. But anyway, so it, okay. it's important to sort of set the scene. Anyway, whilst so what, he's there. What year are we in now? Now like in 2008. So it's relatively recent. Oh, yeah, this. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. So in 2008, that's where he set up Copenhagen Suborbitals. And so anyway, he rang Elon Musk and said, It's Mate, a little bit. Hey, yeah, it's crazy. Feels people like do crazy things. Crazy, brilliant people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Crazy brilliant and, you know, people. They really believe in themselves and their ideas and they really Not attract. like us dumb people who don't believe in ourselves Correct. and our ideas and we don't go around accidentally killing people. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, we haven't been caught for it. And also, Schmitty, in your case, it's probably not, not deliberately killing people. Yeah. Yeah, not, yeah. not accidental. No, nothing accidental about <laughs> oh. it. I'm brilliant. Yeah. Oh, my God, I accidentally made soap out of this person. No, 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 I did that on purpose. Yeah. Hang on, what? 
Whilst he was working with Christian von Bengston, which was the, his partner at Subaudibles, they have a falling out. And I cannot get to the bottom of the idea as to why that happened, but it was really final. And he having seen him go. interviewed about that, he despised Christian and Copenhagen Subaudibles and Orbitals and what they did. So what he did was he went, the best way I can describe it, and I do mean this literally is, he went across the car park and set up his own business. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So they could see, it would be like across the road, across a bit of, you know, bit of yeah. bitumen. Yeah. I've got a bit of ro- bigger rocket than you. Eh, eh, eh. So he used to look across it. He could see the sign for the place and he set up his own shop. So It sounds like something Tom and Jerry would do. Totally. It's very Tom like, and Jerry, the stuff that they're talking yeah. about. Because at that moment, remember, we're talking about rockets and my story yeah. was about a submarine. So, you know, at the moment we're in sort of rocket territory or whatever else. Anyway, so that that is some years later. So in June 2014, Madsen established RML Space Lab, which stands for Rocket Madsen Space Lab. Now, his goal... Does it? That's what he... Well, yes, in... In, in Danish. Danish. Yeah. All oh, right. Gonna... <laughs> Does it? Well, it would actually. Rocket R, M, Madsen. the S bit. Oh, the L bit uh, is a bit confusing. Labs. R, Rocket Madsen Laboratories. Oh, that's it. It's, it's, it's in, in Danish under the title Racket Madsen's Rum Latorium. La, Rum I can't even say that. And in Danish, it's just... Danish translation. You know, before when you said about you, you called it the gate. You know, he's part of a club. Oh yeah, and he yeah. said duck. Uh, yeah, duck. I actually, when he said racket, I thought you mispronounced it. No, it's racket by accident. for rocket. R A K E T. And I was like, oh, he's part of it. Originally, I thought he was part of some kind of, you know, badminton or something. And then you were like, it's yeah, a yeah, racket club. Sport. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. let me on. say it again. Racket Madsen. So rocket Madsen. This racket is the word Madsen. which is hysterical. Rum. Laboratorium. Wow. <laughs> I, I Labor- love that. Uh, means laboratory. <laughs> laboratory. Okay, that just means laboratory. Right. Yeah. So it's all days to Rocket Madsen Space Laboratory. Yeah. Okay. Right. We got there. But he has his company. He's got his little logo. And when I'm first introduced got to his him. branding. He does. Got like They've got a logo on their little makeshift workshop. And as I said, he's literally distanced him so far from suborders that he's across the other side of the across car. Right. Literally, mm-hmm. not even, not even, there's not even a road in between them. Like it's just this bitch of a bit of desolate Street. area. They're there, they're there. Yeah. When you say car park, only one car actually fits in between the two yeah. buildings. Yeah. <laughs> it's a more of a lane. <laughs> to be fair, it's big enough that they can conduct some of their experiments in it. So it, it is a fair distance, but. They are looking at each other. There's nothing else in between except, you know, desolate bitumen. Yeah, so he goes and sets up his own company and in doing so that's when I think things start to, um, I don't know, I guess his profile starts to build and he starts to, he's, he's a guest speaker. People are interested in what he's doing and what his vision is and it's at this point that I'm going to introduce the Aussie filmmaker, Emma Sullivan. So... Emma Sullivan is actually the... Are you sure this is a real story? It is. No, it's not. It could be Austin Powers, couldn't it? Or James Bond. When do they come into it? Oh, it's all shits and giggles at this point. Trust me, it is ridiculous at this point. Who who plays Emma Sullivan? Probably Kate Blanchett, I think. I'd have her. (laughs) Really? Oh, okay. Young Kate Blanchett or current Kate Blanchett? Young, young, not young, young, like... 40. 30s? 40 40, maybe. All right, cool. So Emma Sullivan 
Ugly Cate Blanchett could or be hot Kate Blanchett. <laughs> <laughs> um, Which Kate Blanchett? Because she can serious, be all sorts of serious. 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 She's incredible. She's got range. Yeah. Serious, okay. intelligent, informed. Anyway, she, Emma Sullivan. Does she have a prosthetic down. nose? Smart hot. No. Smart hot. Smart Kate. hot, smart yes. Hot. I, think, I think Emma Sullivan's <laughs> smart hot. <laughs> but no prosthetic nose. Okay, I think I think I've got it now too. <laughs> it's not the hours. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Nicole Kidman. I know. Anyway, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, Just right. the disguise factor. <laughs> so in, okay. in Sydney, I guess, that's where she, I think that's where she was based. She's certainly Australian, but I feel like she is in Sydney and she sees a speech that Peter Madsen does as a TED, TED talk. talk. Correct. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> TED Talk. You got it in one. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> right. And he's talking about, you know, his... Personal Enormous rocket. His personal rocket that he wants to make. Would you like to see my big rocket? Yeah. It's so Austin Powers. <laughs> and. Well, Miss Normus, should we shag now? <laughs> <laughs> she sees him and she sends him a letter and basically says, hey, I'm a filmmaker in Australia and I'm really interested in seeing what you're about and what you do. And he sends her a letter back which basically says, oh, it's crazy hijinks here. Get yourself over here. You know, it's. Oh, I'm it's, sorry. It basically says it's crazy hijinks yeah. here. Well, you know, it's, it's him being a little bit creative and a little bit sort of like. Can you oh, do a Danish you have no accent? Idea. No. I think I no. I, I can't even think. I probably could have at one time, but I can't know. Is it something along the lines it's, of "Hurdy gurdy, muffin man"? Is that Danish? Is that's it, Swedish. No. That's Swedish. Swedish. Okay. Yeah. He, oh, so, 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 so Emma Sullivan reaches out to him. He comes back and says, oh, absolutely, you won't believe how amazing things are here. Please, please come and have a look. Make so a she movie sets, with me. Well, that's kind of what happens. So Emma <laughs> Sullivan sets off to Copenhagen and to the island or the part of land that I can't say, Rush Hagen or whatever it is, and she starts filming him. So she's filming him. Because he is not only interested and creating a rocket, he's also built his own submarine. Now, how has a man done that? Well, he's got lots of help. And basically young people, predominantly young people, who have backgrounds in engineering, welding, science, maths, they want to work with him. So they, a lot of them were Danish, but there were some that were foreign as well. They basically come to this area in Copenhagen and they are just this formidable team of young enthusiastic inventors. He has all of these young enthusiastic brilliant inventors who surround him and I have to say in the footage that I've seen it, it, they're quite sycophantic. Everybody I was going to ask king. are they sycophants? Yeah, they but... totally are but also he's creating this situation where he is the king, he is, you know, he's got this profile, they're just so honoured to be around this brilliance and, you know, working with this guy who they think is, you know, going to be changing the world. So so it's some Elon Musk, Richard Branson. Yeah. And he, there are loads of them. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong, having met Richard Branson a couple of times, he's a lovely man, and I don't think he actually invites it. But people can't help themselves but want to suck up to people like that, you know. It's a cult of celebrity in the brainiac sense. As opposed yes. to the Kim Kardashian sense. Yes, yes. This is, I said before, she was smart, sexy or smart hot. This yes. Is smart celebrity, yeah. Yeah. 
he's definitely got a profile and the two things are, you know obviously there's his rocket work that he's done this is me simplifying <laughs> it hugely and then there's submarine thank work thank yeah. you because so I would this, get confused if it I know. was too so scientific. I, wanna, I, I need to keep it really simple because in the documentary, they sometimes switch between working on things that are related to the submarine and things related to the rocket. But I think somehow, and this is embarrassing, I still don't understand. I think they're both connected. It all because when they, the same. Yes, I think the submarine somehow is... You know, they talk about launch, like there's a launch pad and there's a rocket then there's a sub. And I'm like, oh, what, what are we chopping and changing? Are they all connected? Don't know. So, anyway. so in the Austin Powers movie of it, yes. um, the submarine <laughs> actually has the ability to transform into a rocket. And I think that's why we're getting confused here because it's Quite the same possibly. thing. Yeah. yeah, They're both propelled by some form of combustion and they're both cylindrical. It's just one that's goes fantastic. underwater and one goes out. I think you've nailed it, Schmidt. The submarine yeah. that we need to talk about. Also, is you put the... people in them sometimes, and they both move. Oh, uh, there you go. They, so they are many... basically the, the same s- thing. They the just s- travel through different the similarities. Matter. Are yeah. endless. What was the really smart man's name who died recently? Oh, but, you know. Yes, oh. I do know. I know exactly mm. who you mean. Oh God, how can we? Except not I don't know his name. Oh, Stephen God, Hawking. Oh, Stephen Hawking. I was thinking yeah. Dawkins. Yeah, that's right. I am the Stephen Hawking's of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I just totally nailed the different, like the subs and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And are they both? Are they both piloted by um, Doctor Evil? Is that also (laughs) a similarity, or is that only in the movie? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I know. Too soon. Too soon. soon? So sorry. You made me do accents in the last episode. I was just. Doing an accent, a, ma- fair an accent. a fair mimic, enough. a mimic. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so I don't know how we got to three. Excuse me, what are you people up to? We're being naughty. I know. We've got to get to something. <laughs> something really awful is about something to come really right? awful is going to happen. Get it out. Get it out. You're going straight to the funny farm, Schmitty. So Matson had built oh. three um, submarines in his time and the one that we're going to concentrate on is the UC-3, the Nautilus. And the Nautilus was... Oh, no. That's the name of it. It was a privately built midget submarine. And you know where the name came from. <laughs> it's still pretty big. It really is, it really is Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> Mini me's in it. <laughs> You, you know that's a journey to the bottom of the earth <laughs> reference. Just, yes, who wrote that? absolutely. The Nautilus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Captain blah blah. Nemo. Um, uh, um, Nemo. Yeah. That's it. Captain Nemo. Captain Nemo. Jules Verne. That's who you're trying to think thank of. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Got it. So he'd christened it. That's right. He'd christened it Nautilus after the fictional submarine in Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. There we go. Yeah. Jules Verne's anti-hero Captain Nemo was a figure who lived outside social yeah, laws. Say the seven seas <laughs> in search of total freedom. Unlike Nemo, Madsen had stayed close to home in Denmark. <laughs> what are you pet doing? <laughs> You're bright red, Schmitty. I'm holding in my giggle. <laughs> How hot is it in there window. now? Sorry, <laughs> 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 oh, no, I feel funny when you and Clark you do this. I know, I know. I can't stop. For 20 minutes. <laughs> stop disrupting <laughs> Stop disrupting the story. We're not up to the funny bit yet. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> so wrong. Okay, okay. Oh, there um, it is. Whew, whew. So we've got the Nautilus and 
we we're with Emma Sullivan and she's you know arrived she's shooting lots and lots of footage she's interviewing Peter Madsen but she's also interviewing the the team of people that work for him with him she come when she arrived she finds out that he's this anti-establishment celebrity in Denmark and she said you know you get this sense that he was doing something different it was something bigger it was something worth being a part of and so everyone was quite excited and there's lots of sort of lots and lots and lots of footage. So she's obviously planning on making a film about the submarine. But, you know, he'd say to her and sometimes, you know, it's, it's not just about the submarine, it's also about the rocket. People won't know if I'm going up or I'm going down. You know, I'm everything Ooh, I'm amazing. I really yeah. hope they do know the difference between him going yeah. up or down, though, in a rocket. I'd like to think that's <laughs> obvious. Sorry, go on. He also had yeah. other filmmakers who had done some work with him, but there was... A- <laughs> One film that I, a documentary that was released, and I just, I just like the name of it. It's not that funny, but I thought it was quite funny. It was called Amateurs in Space. <laughs> really, sort of tickled my fancy. Pigs in space, and it was more about his relationship with the guy from um, Copenhagen Superorbital. The one he fell out with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Apparently, the documentary actually, and I've not been able to see it, but it's about how their relationship falls apart. And it's interesting because in so much of the early stuff that when he's being interviewed by Emma, he says to her at the outset, I'm going to tell you what happened and I'll tell you once and, and I'll never talk does. about it again. No, he does. But it doesn't oh, really right. give you a whole lot except that he feels like he did all the work over at Subaltor. Everything was a result of his genius, his vision, and they then took the ideas and said that was theirs and he's, you know, adamant that's not the case. So, so fuck like you, I'm going to do it myself. Apple Jobs type scenario. Maybe. I don't know, but he... But the idea that he's just across the car park sticking it to them just makes me laugh at it. There's such close proximity. I know it's not a complete parallel, but Steve Jobs worked for Apple in the the outset, right? And then they sort of went broke and they'd sacked him because he was a mad genius. And they brought him back and I think he launched the Mm. iPad, uh, sorry, the iPod. iPod. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it and it yeah, revolutionised yeah, Apple, yeah, and so yeah. but there was that whole thinking from his perspective of he was the genius who made yeah. Apple, and how dare they sack him? But it was sort of um, the, in, this, and a lot of this is covered in in the deep. The so much of the footage is they'll have a um, they'll conduct an experiment. One of the experiments, and I won't know how to describe it correctly, but they were trying to work out if they'd launch the rocket, if they could handle the force. So I think it is it is it such a, something that goes round around round. round, round Made the force if be with you. they could use the force. So he's strapped into this seat <laughs> and they, they have the a rocket launch at the back of it and then they spin him around anyway, then he survives. Do you mean like fine. G-forces? Correct, that kind of thing. And then after, you know, everyone's patting them on the back. They've all got their, you know, matching, oh, I call them jumpsuits, but that's what we call it. Uniforms. Branded, branded but it's like an overalls kind of thing. They're, you know, they're really into it, but they're all, you know, they've found their people and that's quite nice about it. You know, like they're all so excited about what they're working on. And I would when I when they would interview the the young people, I think they really sounded passionate and just so happy to be doing the work with him. Whereas every time they interviewed him, I remember thinking, Oof. so they found the job they loved. Yeah, totally. And I don't. I would assume they're not getting paid for it, but I don't know how they survived. They, oh, you know, a lot of them probably lived at the workshop and lived nearby. Sorry, they were being paid. I don't know. These were volunteers. Well, a lot workers. of them were volunteers. I don't know who would have been being paid. Everyone was like interns and volunteers, right? So because he's got no cash. Not really. I mean, maybe they they probably had enough to get by. But if you're being if you're describing everybody as an intern or a volunteer, I'm assuming that there's not much. There's no real there's no pay money. structure, or whatever else. No, I wouldn't have thought so. You get experience. It's like being a musician. It's what, you know, when they have, when these big companies and you get in at the beginning and you get, you know, a share of what happens later. But, you know, I'm sure that was the case. 
So as a result of there being so much interest in him, in March 2017, a freelance journalist named Kim Wall learned about the rival rocket makers, which I just think is so cute. The rival rocket makers. The rival makers. rocket makers across the car park from each other. It sounds like, Brilliant. A, like a, a kid's story, doesn't it, really? The yeah. rival rocket markets. Uh, and the, uh, what happened was she was in Ref Chalion, which is this area, which was, you know, artists and whatever yeah. else. And the reason she was there was she was visiting her partner, Ole Stober, who was a Danish designer. So he lived there. he just moved there, actually. And they were walking around one afternoon and she walked past the buildings of the old shipyard so she could see Rocket Workshop 1 and Rocket Workshop 2. What are the chances of two Rocket Workshops of it? And that's how the interest for her sort of came to be. I don't know a lot about municipalities in Copenhagen, but surely testing rockets... In a downtown suburban It wasn't area. downtown suburban. Don't think that. Okay. Think more like on the ed- – It's remember so much this area is like on water. Right out of nowhere. Yeah. Because like, it would have to be for, it the, is. And for it's, the council it's to not, not complain. It's not too far. You, you, in your mind, if I, if I say this, you, you, it will ring a bell. There is a bridge that goes from Denmark to Sweden and it's very yeah. low and it's all low-level water, very grey, you know, covered in – An estuary. And it's not like, far yeah. from there. It's sort of like okay. this outpost thing that's still part of Copenhagen, but it was the shipyards originally. So imagine it's okay. on a, a point which is easy access from the sea, I'd guess. Yeah, I know. But I now just, derelict. I, I'm and, picturing you know, things like Port Melbourne, and there's no way you could build a rocket in Port well, Melbourne. Well, you might two. if you think about it. Like it's, it wasn't – they weren't massive, remember, then they'd go onto some water and they'd be shooting things off out of the water and stuff. A lot of it was water-based. So there are only little rockets. No people were in midget submarine. They're getting to that point. Midget submarine. Well, that's a submarine. That's a submarine. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Miss Walls there. So she's the Swedish journalist who has made an approach um, to Peter Madsen and said, "I'm really interested in um, you know meeting you, coming to see what you're doing." Anyway, and I don't think he really gives her a lot at first because I think, to be honest, he's got other people calling. There's a lot going on. He's uh, sort of a man in demand, I guess. Plus, he's working furiously to try and beat Copenhagen Suborbital Orbital to launch a rocket. So there's a race on space race. So yeah, USA and USSR. Denmark, Denmark. Yeah. yeah. And in the documentary, Denmark, a lot of it, you get this sense of you know things are building. There's you know anticipation, but things are starting to go wrong. And in Emma's talking to the volunteers and the interns, there are a couple that you can see really know what they're talking about and it comes down to, like, detail. And there's this one particular day where they're building the launch pad. The launch pad is a floating structure that they need to build sort of in a day. So they've got the components, but then it needs to be um, built and then go to float in the water to be ready to do some more testing. Anyway, he's pushing, pushing, pushing. And you can see the people who actually have the knowledge and the skills. It's not him, remember. He's the big ideas guy, really. They are very frustrated because they're like, that's not right. That's not, that's loose. That bolt's loose. This is right, whatever else. Anyway, so they get it in the water. It's already dark. He's furious because it hasn't been lined up. And you can start to see this other side of his personality, which is. It's not safe, though. It's not so nice. It doesn't matter for him, right? It's just got to be done. No, exactly. It's got to be done. Exactly. It's and gotta be the, done and when the doers, the yeah. doers, people who are like tension dead, this is why it's going to work versus fail, they are frustrated and they're, you know, trying to get the work done. He's, he's becoming less. People are not quite so happy anymore. And there's one person that said he must have had a driver. This older chap has got the overalls on. He says to him something like, 
you know, he said, oh, thank you for driving to us. Maybe he was like a tugboat guy and he was taking it out. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he goes to say, is there going to be a problem with X because he, he's aware of something and he just shuts him down. And I think that's where things were headed. It was all getting a little bit messy. By all accounts, it just kind of thing. It just felt like think, there was a heightened sense of I don't know. I felt like he was losing control, and this was relation to the rocket launch, and that's sort of where the the documentary that Emma Sullivan's doing. That's her interviewing him, and what she's presenting starts to show you he's not a. It's not a stable sort of situation. Anyway, now we're going to jump forward a little bit, but not too far, and I'm going to take you to the day of the 10th of August in 2017 and I'm going to introduce you to a little bit more to Kim. So Kim Wall was the Swedish journalist who had approached him for an interview and to give you a bit of an idea about Kim, she was a brilliant journalist although she hadn't been doing it for a, a terribly long time but she was a superstar when it came to being at university and where she'd been accepted and then where she went to further her studies. So Kim was considered to be a formidable character and a really driven journalist, and she was born in 1987. Smart hot. Uh, yes, but different, different. Who, not, who not, I don't know. Her? Taylor who Swift, her? I reckon. Who's, no. who's playing her? No, no. Um, Someone, a brunette? Am I calling a I brunette? I think she here? might have, like, auburn hair. I can't quite tell. Red. It's sort of like maybe mm, Isla Fisher, but Nicole I don't think Isla Fisher. Julia like, Roberts in no, the she's Pelican too Brief. No, I'm not getting that vibe either. I don't know. Don't know. She was born in 87 and grew up in a close-knit community in a small town, not far from Denmark, um, in Trelleborg, southern Sweden. So it's just across the strait, probably near that bridge that I was referring to before. Mm. She studied international relations at the London School of Economics, which is no small feat in itself, I guess. And then she went on to gain a place at the rigorous master's program of Columbia University in New York, where they've described it as the Oxbridge of journalism. Within her cohort, she uh, was top of the class, winning honours in her year. Isn't that fabulous? So she is a bright button. She and is a bright button. When we meet her in the story, so we know she's made the approach to Peter Madsen, what's happening is she's actually on Ref Chalion with her partner, who is the Danish architect, and they're going to have a farewell party because they are leaving to go to Beijing to work and live. Oh. But on that very day, very upwardly mobile. Yeah, aren't they? Well, you, know, they're, you know, they're looking for. You know, she's always trying to find stories and leads. Apparently, she had travelled extensively. She'd been to Africa a number of times. She'd been to Cuba, so she'd been into lots of situations. Although she hadn't been reporting for many years, because remember she'd studied for quite a long time. But she'd certainly been in lots of dangerous situations. Mm. She liked to report on identity, gender, subcultures, and lots of social injustice or social justice themes. So she was a real worldly girl. Like she cared about things. She was brilliant at, brilliant at finding a story, finding an angle and bring, and presenting a, a different angle. And, you know, was highly regarded by her peers both academically and then later in the workforce. We find her on the 10th of August getting ready to go to her farewell party with Ola, her partner, and they've got friends coming together because a couple of days later they're moving to Beijing. And it's on that day that she receives a, a text from Peter Madsen saying, hey, if you want to come over and have a chat today, you can do that. I'm available. So she agrees. And the beauty of it is that she's actually not far away. I mean, I think it was a very short distance, the walk. So she walks over to have a meeting with him. And half an hour later, she goes back to see her partner and says, look, he's actually telling me he'll take me out in the submarine for a couple of hours. I know we've got our leaving party, but what do you think? And he says, uh, and she said, you, you know, do you want to come with me? You can come too. 
And he I says, think of anything worse. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Not on my top mm. list, let me tell you. And he says, look, no, I won't go. It's not that I'm not interested. You go. I know you want the story, but you know, we've got guests coming or we're meeting people at a bar or whatever they were doing with our parties happening. So I'll go and meet yeah, them. You'll be only be a couple of hours. You're not getting on the sub till seven, come at nine, whatever else when you get back. We'll see you later. Mm. So that is the 10th of August, 2017. So very recently. It's so recent. I know. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I do. Re- do you remember the story, guys? No. no. I do. Okay. Kim Wall and Peter Madsen board the UC3 Nautilus, the Nautilus. And off they go. And there are photos of them with the both, what's it called? Is it it's not a manhole? What's it called, the top bit? The sticky out of it at the top? Periscope? No, that's the bit you look out with. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the top bit. Uh, no, no, no. No, she's talking about it's the... It's like the, the, the bit that sits out. So if you see people looking out at the top of it, you can see them, like, leaving the harbour with, you know, know she's smiling out and here's the two of them. You can see them, you know, and the sun's setting. It looks quite beautiful, really. And... I have read somewhere that Ollie could see her. I don't know if it was with their friends, but they could actually see them departing. And off they go. Oh, God. I can tell this is not going to be This good. is where yeah. it gets really interesting. So Emma Sullivan, in real time, is with his entourage of volunteers and interns when they get news that, he, that there's, a, there's a problem that they haven't returned and that they haven't come back. That night at... 11 o'clock, I don't think he'd heard, and the party finishes. He's a bit concerned. He goes home. There are no messages from her after a certain time. So at one point, Kim had sent him messages saying, I'm on my way or, you know, we're heading out and you know, stuff like that, and then, then there's sort of nothing. Toot, toot, off we go. Yeah, so he calls. I don't know if he calls the police or the Coast Guard first, but anyway, they all they all notified his concern about his, his girlfriend who's missing, and then, you know, they wait the next day and nothing. Then... At about 10 o'clock, I think it is, the submarine is spotted, but then within the next half hour, the submarine sinks. So this submarine we're talking about, is this the midget or is this a bigger one? It's a midget, but a midget's not tiny. Like if you saw it, it... (laughs) (laughs) The midget submarine we're talking about. Let me find out how big it is. Oh, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> no, because you were talking about yeah. you were talking about the fin you or the door. You see it with the, a naked eye. You the don't. sail. You were talking about the fin or the sail, right? Which it's is not the, a sail. I don't know what it's called. It, What's it called? It is. It's, it, the Americans call it the sail. It's a, really? It's the tower bit. You're yeah, talking about the tower, the tower yeah, bit, yeah, which yeah. the periscope comes out of. That When you talked about them, like a large submarine, you know, you've seen pictures of people standing on top of them. This is... Smaller version, but obviously two people were visible on it, right? So yes. it's not tiny, tiny. No, it's not tiny, yeah. tiny. It's, it's not so as midget as it sounds. When you talked about it being a midget submarine earlier, it made that's me think about too. those. Yeah. But that's no, 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 no. But it yeah. made me think of like those two, those tiny little two-person ones that people who go in deep sea exploration, you know. It's, you yes, know, I know. It's not, it's not like a little button. Type no, no. Little things. It was, that's what I was thinking of. Oh, here we go, Schmidt. That's what I was thinking of. It yeah. weighed 40 tonne. It was 17.76. Oh, it was big. Well, it wasn't, but not <laughs> by normal standards, but by, you know, the fact that they built one. It, had, it was 17.7, nearly 18 metres in length. That's big its enough. Its beam yeah. was two metres. I don't know what that means. Maybe that's that thing. Across the top. No, okay, no, no, no. Beam is across the Tonnage. Propulsion had a diesel engine electric motor and it could do six knots and it could have four to eight crew. 
So it was considerable. So when it was crew. going out of the port, it was big. It was Swanee, big. Yep. it's about the size of a canal boat, a little bit longer. Yeah, it's not if small. I mean, the technical term was midget, but I'm not using that to suggest that that's <laughs> how little. No, it's a midget by it's comparison to, to, with to, the crew. to the Navy, yeah. I feel like they Which should call them 600 small people. submarines, not oh, yeah. midget. You know, it's a little bit politically incorrect. The Nautilus is spotted, and this is important. So when it's first spotted, it is still afloat. And then within a very short period of time, whoever the witness was, the witness saw Peter Madsen. He was out the top of the <laughs> submarine. Then he goes inside, and then it starts to sink, and then he gets out. He so he's gets rescued. Out. He gets out. He's rescued oh. by um, a nearby motor vessel. Did and he forget to shut the door as he went back inside? Something like that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say something like that. So back at the workshop, word has arrived that he's been found and he's safe and everyone's, you know, crying and rejoicing whatever else. And people saying, but where's Kim Wall? Kim Wall's partner has reported her missing and they don't know where he where she is. And the word comes back that, that um, Peter Madsen has said, look, I dropped her off last night. <laughs> Drop. You liar. <laughs> no, he dropped her off. I dropped her off last night. When the submarine went down, he dropped her off for sure. So he dropped her off. He was actually arrested immediately. Good. Good. But there was no sign of Kim Wall. And at that point, the submarine was salvaged. They went and, is that what it's called when you go and bring it back up? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So from the outset, investigators determined that it had been a deliberate act. Now, remember, someone had actually seen him in it before he went down. Yeah, yes. So he's sunk his own submarine. So he didn't forget (gasps) to shut the door at all. No. So that's on the 11th of August. So he says, well, you know, I put her on dry land, like she was gone, I don't know. Could you imagine, where does the submarine pull up? Just like, <laughs> there you go, off you get. Anyway, that was his story. And it was quite interesting because you could see. Like a water taxi, could you imagine it? And this was just a continuation of filming for Emma Sullivan about, you know, the submarine and the rocket launch and whatever else. So she's there filming going, oh, gosh, you know, what's happened? And then they're like, they're devastated because the submarine sunk. It's them trying to come to grips with what they're hearing as they're hearing it in real time. So you're watching their First reactions, at first they're so consumed about worrying about Peter and what's happened to Peter. Then they know Peter's safe. And then you start to see them not quite understand and question, well, where would Kim be and why has the submarine sunk? And, you know, they're clever people. So all of these questions really start coming up and you can see them grappling with it. So in terms of the document, the, the footage that she ends up getting is remarkable. It really is you know, capturing something in real time, which is not just going back and reviewing, so, oh, you know, when people are telling you about an event, it's happening, they're there, and people are crying with relief, and then then they're starting to be concerned about other things, and you start to see the whole thing start to unfold. That was the 11th of August. On the 21st of August, so sometime later, a cyclist finds Wall's torso. It has been washed oh, up. Jesus. Oh. Yeah. Her torso had 15 stab wounds, <gasps> mostly in and around her vagina. And I can't what? say that word. Oh, God. Oh. Mostly in and around her groin. And she had all these metal weights. Vagina. I know, I know. It's just so He weighed her gone. down. He stabbed her to death yeah. and weighed her down. 
And Why? the idea being that she had been stabbed so many times so the gases would release so she wouldn't, the torso float. would not float. She yep. wouldn't float. And she'd been weighed, that, her torso had when been say, weighed down. When you say torso, did, does that mean he dismembered her as well? Yeah, oh, we'll get to that. So at this point, he his story has been that he dropped her off. His story then becomes actually what happened was she got hit in the head. Her, you know, she the accidentally the hatch hit her in yeah. the head, and she had a you know a fatal brain skull Injury, fracture yeah, and died. So first of all, he so says no, no, no. First of all, he says, oh, actually, what I did was I gave her at sea burial, and watching. Well, that's the first bit of information that gets back to because the, the police releases and you see the Was she stuff. Muslim? No. Because that's the only religion I know and Jews yeah. who like to bury their dead very quickly. Oh, yes. I mean, literally we're talking yeah. no. 15 minutes later, I thought I'd give her a sea burial. That's very so true. What? Yeah. Is so it more credible to stick to the I dropped her off story? I don't know what happened. Than to say that, I wouldn't say it's credible. I, I would just say it's. I think you've got more. Like I could. Well, it sounds better than. Oh, well, I thought I'd give her a sorry, Swanee. This is no, taking a very dark turn. I know. So he his story starts that he I dropped her off. Uh, mm. Actually, no, you know she accidentally got a head hit from the hatch, and I gave her a sea burial. And now it becomes well, she still accidentally hit her head, but yes, I did. You know, maybe dismember her. Yeah, I, I did sort of cut her up on the sixth of October. Swedish I don't understand. Police. Sorry, I don't what? understand why he's changing his story because he's just implicating he's himself. He's a liar. Yeah, but his his lies are getting him oh, yeah. in, in deeper. Not like it's really interesting. They're, it's an odd yeah. way to respond. So on the sixth of October, Swedish police find two plastic bags, and in the two plastic bags are Kim Wall's head, her legs, her clothes, and a knife. Fucking oh my Jesus god. Christ, oh my. Six days later, on the 12th of October, they find a saw. What? Now, the saw had come from his workshop. And in footage that was taken by Emma Sullivan. So it's premeditated. Totally. So on the yeah. Emma Sullivan has footage where she's filming inside the, uh, the workshop, thing. maybe the, the day workshop, before or something like that, day. and they highlight it. And in the back corner, there's a light ring that shows, look, there's the, the saw. And then the day of he's missing and she's missing whatever else, she's missing. filming another one of the, you know, volunteers and it's gone. And it's that that footage helped because that was that saw that so was taken from his workshop. Wow. But 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 the way you've told the story, he didn't know her. She just no. walked past and not quite. I don't know that they'd ever met like, before. He knew that she was interested. So you're, he, that's quite oh, right. You're probably going to answer the question. I will. But I will. This seems so odd. It does, doesn't it? It's yeah. really disturbing. Is what it is. Okay. Oh, we're missing our arms. I'm sorry, oh, I cannot believe okay. how, how awful that sounds that I did not. Understand. Sorry, I thought we'd found them. No, okay, so no. where so are her arms? So finally her arms were found. Again, I don't know, all all in water coming up from oh. waterworks. Everything's been weighed down with poles and um, metal. It's absolutely horrendous for some woman who's just going to do a job. Yeah, who doesn't even know the bloke. Yeah. And this is where he just changes his story constantly. So he changes his story again. And says, oh, actually, it wasn't that she hit her head. It was the fact that she had, is it asphyxiation where it's like from poisonous gases inside the submarine? Yeah, but he would have too. So that's a lot oh, of but, but then, of course, there was nothing. There was nothing, there was nothing found yeah. in post-mortem in her lungs. 
It said a post-mortem examination performed on Wall's head after it was found a month later found no sign of blunt mm-hmm. force trauma and did not determine the cause of death. Madsen subsequently changed his story, admitting to dismembering oh, Wall's body but continuing to deny intentionally killing her, saying that she may have died after poisonous exhaust gases entered the submarine while he was on deck. The post-mortem performed on her torso showed there were no signs of exhaust gases in her lungs. So it just is lying. How many times do you get to change a story? Mm, well, to what end? So on the 16th of January 2018, Madsen was charged with murder, indecent handling of a corpse and sexual assault. The prosecution accused him of having tortured Wall before killing her by cutting her throat or strangling her. They were unable to determine. What? Good God. So Mm. what becomes incredibly macabre about all of this was the fact that doing the research to find out what was going on in his life, what had he been up to, obviously they've gone and looked at his computer, talked to his friends, spoke to people about what had been going on. And the reality was that he'd had been approaching and talking to a number of women. Basically, there was not a person who had been chosen, we don't think. It was a case of there was a girl called Sarah who they have in the documentary, they try and cover her identity because, frankly, she adored him and they were friends. They spoke every day. He had been talking about taking her out in the submarine and she had some work to do and she said, oh, you need to um, motivate me to get some work done. You know, what can you do? Scare me to get some work done. And he set, sent her these messages about what she thought was a joke at the time about a murdery kind of, I think it was a game he said it was, but it was, he was getting ready so to do this. he was thinking about Absolutely. killing someone. Absolutely. Emma Sullivan, what? the um, what filmmaker, like was another person. Just who, whoever he could get on the sub. It would have been on that at a that woman. day, yeah, at yeah, that yeah, time, correct. a woman. Yes, but yes. there were a couple of different people who, you know, if it had been Do you them. Think it was just like, oh, I've done the submarine thing. I've done the rocket thing. I haven't done the murder thing. Maybe that's my next boundary that Jesus. I have to cross. Is that the next progression? Does that mean we should be worried I, I about that's... Elon Musk and Richard Branson? Not Richard Branson. As I said, he's... He doesn't have it in him. Elon Musk, haven't met him, can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing you. It's shocking. So in the days before the murder, Madsen invited a number of other women out in the submarine, including Emma Sullivan. And earlier on the 10th of August, the day that he went out with um, Kim Wall, Madsen had texted Sarah, who was the girl that I was talking about, a volunteer, to ask her out to sea. He had even jokingly said to her, this is what I had kind of messed up before, I have a murder plan ready, which is a great pleasure. Why? What? I don't know if someone said that to me. I don't know if I'd think, oh, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Is he just losing his mind? Oh, yeah. There's a Lost quote here mind. from Sullivan, which was in the Sydney Morning Herald. It says, Sullivan knows it could so easily have been her in Wall's place, but I would need to group in every other woman who was around with, around him too, she says. I think any female that was anywhere near him, at minimum the month leading up to this terrible murder, was in some degree of danger. Yeah. It was all, and it's all there. Like, it is just so disturbing. What do you think they found on his computer? Police recovered videos on Madsen's computer of women being murdered and beheaded. On the day, oh, I don't have the exact words, on the day, on the 10th of August, in in the day, the three words he had Googled were girl agony beheaded, I think. What? 
So it was so premeditated. He had all the tools that he took with him, the, the weight, the poles. There's a checklist that I can read you of things that he'd taken with him on the boat. It was horrendous, just horrendous. Had he done anything like was there a like history or no? Like if you sort of delve into it, yes, he'd been to some fetish parties. There were some people that said he quite liked that, but you know, I, there's no. His wife is is we actually got devastated. I'm sure we wouldn't know. There's no reference. She's totally gone into hiding. And there was nothing of her being filmed or whatever else. So I can't imagine him having a normal relationship in the sense that their work was everything. So unless she was living there with them, I don't know how that would have worked either. And he was always flirting with everyone. Like you just see it. It was oh, even the men too, I guess. It was just that kind of um, energy around him. Watching it unfold through Emma Sullivan's, you know, documentary style filming, he's telling her everything, but you don't know what's going to happen, of course. Gosh. But he he talks about a lot about people that you're all we're all going to die so you're either going to die a hero or a criminal like they're the two extremes and you can see some of the people working for him going oh, oh, don't know about the criminal bit what are you talking about i thought we we're here to like build a rocket or a submarine or something oh god i thought we were just doing the normal male thing of extending our phalluses into either the ocean or the or space <laughs> not killing someone oh, i found the whole thing very bizarre it's shocking. It's very isn't it? disturbing because it's there's so no sort of warning and it's so violent and so premeditated. Yeah. Such an escalation, too. Like Absolutely. He's just watching all this stuff and then preparing to do it himself. Yeah. And kind of knowing, like, I, I get this impression that he, he knew what was going to happen. Like, I don't know. I just, he just wanted to do it. Just wanted to know it first. Do you think he knew he was going to be arrested or did he think he'd have some protections from his. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe he thought he might have got away with it and said, I don't know what he would have said about her, but I just think he was just, he just was going to do it regardless. Like he just had to do it. Oh, yeah. Like he had a predilection yeah. to do it and he was going to kill someone. I'm just interested in whether or not he thought that his little game plan of wading down the body would mean that there was would work, no evidence. Yeah. And unfortunately, well, he's obviously gone to a great deal of effort, right? It's not like he did just dump the body. As he's a genius, it no. didn't work out. Yeah. But I, do, I was just going to say, I think he thought he would get away with it to the point where whilst he might have been trying to hide the evidence, you know, the fact that his response was, oh, I dropped her off, you would almost go, what I have to do is drive the submarine to some point where I could drop her off yeah, and then go back out and finish it all off. So he hasn't really thought it through. I think probably because he just assumes he'll get away with it because he's so far up himself. You know, if you were going to try and get rid of a body off a submarine that you've surfaced a few times, obviously you would have a look at your maritime charts and look for where the nearest rip that takes, you know, things oh, out obviously. to sea. And that's where you would drop it, eh? Pace one. You wouldn't just you wouldn't just be getting yeah, pumps right. and shit and shaking things down. <laughs> Oh, am I the only one who thinks like that? Anyway. <laughs> if I was Maybe. to do it, if I was to take someone out on the houseboat. And- There's no rips at Lake Yeldon, you're all safe. It's <laughs> Clearly you've thought through that though. So that's not the place you'd do it. I found this article that was in Wired magazine and the journalist who wrote the article was friends with Kim, like they'd studied together. So she made it really personal and she has become 
friends with Kim's parents and although they didn't even want to be interviewed for the article that she wrote but there's now like a scholarship fund at Columbia there's a whole host of things that I've done in Kim's name thank goodness because she just had the most incredible reputation as a journalist as a, as a human and it's just beggars belief what she's been through it's horrendous there was a dramatization I think that was released maybe on HBO in the US and they don't mention him they don't talk about Peter Madsen at all the idea being not giving him any airtime, yeah. I guess. Mm. And Emma Sullivan says, look, for me, it's about showing you, well, she had all of it, you're right. She didn't go to make a documentary about a psychopath. She just accidentally made, you know, all had all this footage about a psychopath. Yeah. And it's it's too good not to watch because you watch it, you just go, oh, my God. And for, for me, I never warmed him. I didn't like him from the start. I mean, I, I knew that he'd been before I started watching it, of course. But there was no time in the early stage where I thought, yeah, I could have really warmed that guy. I would have thought, oh, mm. fucking hell, you're all like, you all think he's, you know, God. You've all got that kind of thing going on. But she wrote to Madsen in prison, actually before he'd gone to trial. I'm going to just read what she had written. I wrote Madsen two letters at Vestry Prison in Copenhagen where he was being held before trial. I FedExed the first and dropped off the second in a mailbox near the jail. I told him who I was, who Kim had been, my sadness over losing her and my wish that he would tell me what happened. One afternoon in January, months after I'd returned to New York, I went to pick up my mail and found an envelope with no return address. It was postmarked from Denmark on December 6, 2017 but that didn't register until after I'd opened it and started scanning the neat handwritten pages. It was only when I got to the word submarine that I realised Madsen had written to me from his detention cell. I remember telling myself to keep breathing as I tried to fold the pages back into the envelope. I did not succeed. The envelope was small and thin and ripped in my hands. When I finally forced myself to look at the letters, there were three dated in September and November. I was struck by their terrifying banality. He spoke plainly about the boredom of prison. He had few visitors and few pastimes besides writing. He described seeing Terminator 2 in prison and identifying with the character played by Linda Hamilton. He explained that he had access to a paper and pencil and what he didn't have access to, nearly everything else. He also wrote about Kim. He wrote that he thought about Kim every day and that he could, quote, feel her spirit somehow. There was a disturbing intimacy to his oh, words, God. as if he were writing to an old friend. He flattered me, my writing style, invited me to visit. He asked me, what are you? An explainer trying to understand, a terminator sent to terminate me? Without exception, whatever you are, you are welcome. I am all yours. You disgusting maggots. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's quite gross. It's really alarming. So anyway, the trial occurred in 2018 i think from march to april and he was found guilty uh, on all three charges because there was a concern that they were not going to get him on murder and that's why because they had no proof that he had murdered her i don't think because yes he definitely dismembered her yes he'd said that and they were concerned that they would only get him on that and the handling of a corpse and sexual assault but by through Emma's footage, and they convinced this girl Sarah to come forward where it had all of the email, uh, sorry, the texts about the, text messages, the murder yeah. plan and whatever else. It all helped, and he was found guilty. So murder, indecent handling of a corpse, and sexual assault, and he sentenced his life imprisonment. So he is in prison, and hopefully that's where he'll remain. He was taken to hospital at one point because he'd been attacked by another inmate, and he'd actually escaped in 2020 for a short Jesus. period of time where he had threatened prison officer with what was a makeshift 
guy and he said he had a bomb on, you know, a suicide bomb vest or whatever else. And he was found a couple of hundred metres outside, but got that, that far. put back in. But he has been described as, under psychiatric evaluation of Madsen, he was described as a narcissistic psychopath, lacking in empathy but not psychotic or delusional. At the end of the documentary, this is so freaky, at some point during the year where Emma had been filming him, he reflects on the nature of psychopaths. Now, in the conversation, she's not having a conversation with him at the time about psychopaths. They're talking about something else. It's kind of finished and he brings it up. And he says, psychopathic people are often very charismatic. They are excellent speakers. They are convincing. They are having illusions of grandeur and have no regard for anyone else. Does the psychopath know that he's a psychopath? He asked rhetorically, gesturing towards himself. I'm not sure. Well, I am. I think he knew he was a psycho. Yeah. Path. Wow. So that was a little bit of a, a project where I really sort of didn't know about something and kind of wanted to and I found it incredibly disturbing once I really got to what he did to her and how premeditated it was and the stuff he'd been watching and he just wanted to really hurt a woman so badly and torch them and murder them. I just, ah. do you think it? Do you think it stems from the fact that his mother rejected him when he was a child? Because I, I wondered that at the very beginning when he my said my mother rejected me as a child and yeah, me I'm out and adopted that. me. I'm no, but you had another mother. No, but you had another mother, oh. right? He had no mother. <laughs> his father, his father took him. His yeah. older father, who probably didn't give him any of the nurturing of Correct. mother. I think you're right. And there. I wonder about that because that, not that I'm being all Freudian and weird, but uh, I was interested when he said she kept her children from her first marriage, but she. Yeah. Let him go off with the dad. And I thought, oh, I feel yeah, like maybe. we're going to go yeah, they're gonna a woman-hating crime right. here. Yeah. And, yeah. I was oh, let's be honest. Most correct. of them are women-hating crimes, aren't they? Clarky, what do you think in terms of this oh, nasty little God. maggot who needs a good squashing? It's quite hard to ascertain the magnitude of it because, you know, we're, we're talking about all these incredible things he's doing with his rockets and submarines and whatnot. And then all of a sudden he's gone to something so violent, so premeditated, so horrible, to someone who just has no, you know, there's nothing in it from her point of view, nothing that she's done that would do it. It's such an opportunistic horror story kind of thing. And I kind of think about what she would have felt when she's going, I'm going to go on this submarine and, have an amazing opportunity and get a great story and blah, 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 and then going, what the fuck, mate? How did how did we get to this? So, you know, it's it's really one of those stories of terror kind of thing, the, you know, what would have gone through her head. And Well, her parents were saying how amazing that, or not amazing, that's totally not the right word, how horrendous that for a young woman who travelled to the most dangerous places or many dangerous places around the world, that she ended up, you know, coming to such a horrendous end yeah. in her home, you know, well, not her hometown, but in where somehow she felt really safe and... Like I, th- I think of, you know, people who love swimming in the ocean or whatever and there's that whole thing of if, if they get attacked by a shark, by a they shark. go, well, I was in their habitat, Domain. blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Therefore, it's not victim blaming, but, you know, that, I, I was doing what I love and I know that there's risks with that. And I think yeah. in, in the war-torn country... 
you kind of go, yes. I was doing it and, and yes. I know I'm this risk. I'm doing a job and yeah. there's a risk. And I don't involved. expect to be <sighs> viciously murdered by some man I'm Correct. on a sub with. And, and the fact. Raped maybe, but not viciously murdered. The fact murdered. that he had no well, desire to me. even try to hide it, you know, everyone knew where, well, not everyone, but, you know, it was obvious well, where she was going. he was alluding going. to it. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no yeah. but what I'm saying is that he invited her. That's right. Yeah, and she told her so partner, was, I'm yeah, off I'm with going. Peter. He's, yeah. It's not like that's something that, you know, it was part of her normal routine. It was obvious that he was going to be the one that everyone expected her to be with, and he still did it. You know, there's he, he's just so far up himself that he thinks he'll get away with whatever he does, I think. Yeah. so. Or knows he'll get caught but wants to do it so badly he'll take Take that anyway. Yeah, I've just got to do that. That's what I've got to do. I think he could have done that in another way. You know, that's that's kind of where you get someone jogging at night or something. You don't put your, you don't send them an invite to say, "Hey, do you want to come to this?" Because everyone will know straight away. He wasn't trying to hide it. That's what I'm saying. No, that's what I'm saying. He's so far. He just thinks that he's better than everyone, and he will be able to do it and get away with it. I don't work in the world's Boundaries. I've no. been a boundary breaker all my life. You know, yes. I've been shooting rockets. I'm special. And I'm special I'm and I'm fine. But I don't even think he thought he wouldn't end up in jail. He just was like, I don't care. I'm going to cross this boundary now. This excites mm. me. This is what I'm doing now. This is my next invention. Exactly. I don't think he cared about that. I think he cared more I'm about I'm yeah. going to experience what I want to but, experience. But, but, that's what I mean. But he was also then willing to go, I'll die a hero or a criminal, and, and so this will now push me into dying a criminal, but I'm going to do it anyway because I think mm. that from him he was comfortable with that. So what are we going to do to him? <sighs> and you know what? I've just made up my mind because I've been sitting here thinking about how to punish this mofo, right, And because everything about this story, from the time we stopped laughing and it was funny until then. Yeah, it was. And then it got real serious real quick. Real quick. I thought it was going to be like an accidental drowning, you know, yeah, he was yeah. negligent. Yeah. I didn't expect a violent murder. Premeditated <laughs> and too. Like. Premeditated, dismemberment. I was like vagina stabbing. I didn't expect any of that, right? I really did think he forgot to close the hatch and that was mm. where we were going to end up. Nah. So he's a pig. He's a total pig. He's the kind of person that when you meet them, you kind of want to punch him in the face, but because you're not a narcissistic psychopath, you don't, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think because he's such a pig, I'm going to put him on a spit. Ooh. Mm. I'm going to, you know, season him up a bit and I'm going to turn him slowly over a fire. Ooh. Not until he dies, just till he's really badly burnt. Then we'll take him off, a bit like the keel hauling. We'll wait till he gets his pain threshold back and he's healed up a bit and he goes back on the spit. Like a kebab. Yeah. Well, yeah, like a kebab but without. Oh, shave off a bit of the. Shave off a bit of it, bit maybe. Sometimes I think, sometimes I think, you know, we, we probably toe a line where we do do the kind of eye for an eye sometimes, a head for a head, arms for an arm, mm. legs for a leg. Mm. But in this case, I, I think you're right, Swanee. I think just a couple of layers of skin at a time. A very, very slow and torturous. And a potato peeler. So as he goes around, it just, you know, like <laughs> when you try to skin an apple and get do yeah, it in yeah. one total go. Or when you accidentally shave yourself, or like oh, when you're yeah. a 
peeling a potato and actually peeling yeah, it himself. Yeah, you go too far. Yeah. Just that layer though, just that layer. Yeah. yeah. But let him heal up so that it's consistent. Mm. I just, I cannot even begin to imagine her last moments. Yeah, that's the bit and that I oh, kind of go. I know, oh. right? And I, as you were telling the story and as I was looking at her, it's I don't generally get terribly emotional in these ones, but I really feel for this one. This it's one's terrifying. It's mm. so upsetting. Yeah. You know, like and I, a couple of times while you're talking, I've had to kind of, you know, pull back and not get emotionally upset. There, This is so awful. And, and I can almost imagine Carla and I, you know, in Europe met weird people like this. Like I could imagine it could have been us, you know, mm. like this is, Anyone could have been in this situation and so to to suffer such a terrifying and vicious and brutal and violent death for no reason whatsoever other to, other than to satisfy the probably sexual mm-hmm. deviance of this awful individual, I feel perfectly justified by putting him on a spit, putting a peeler on him and making that mofo suffer. And that is my sentence. Nice. Game on. Well done. The the thing about it for me is that terror that I feel that Kim would have. It's so disturbing, isn't it? Horrible. Like when you just there's no way out, there's nowhere to go. And I just was not aware of that, Clarky. When I knew when I heard about the story, as I said, it was in the background. I knew it was a submarine. I knew it was a journalist. I thought it was a missing person kind of thing. Yeah. So when I really started to look into it. And then I got to this point where it's like, holy shit, it's yeah, like a horror movie, right? Yeah, it is. It is. It takes you from being something, oh, to going, this isn't real life. This is a kind of TV program that somebody's made up as something to terrify people. Yeah, It's yeah. awful, yeah. right? Yeah. <gasps> so what I was thinking is I want the punishment to give him some of that terror and prolonged. Mm. And so I was thinking you could put him in a little pen with about 10 other pens adjacent to it and it, in one end is he all by himself tied up defenceless and at the very other end is a group of rabid pigs that are... Pigs, oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Going to eat him. So, and like, you know, every 10 minutes one of the gate opens and then they come a bit closer and then they come a bit closer. And so over a period of time, these pigs come closer and closer and closer to him to the point where at the very last one, they get let in and obviously eat him eat him, and, and rip him apart and all that sort of stuff that I think is okay for him. But it's it's not <laughs> that. he wakes up in the morning and it starts again. Does it again. It's, but it's not, the, yes. it's not the death bit that is, is as important. It's the realisation that he's got nowhere to go and he knows what's coming and that's going to be prolonged, that feeling, because... And that's why I think letting him wake up again... And do it and again. And know what's coming. Yeah, so after yeah. the first time, like the first time you're like, yeah, pigs, whatever, oh, God, oh. But to know what you're going to experience, having felt all that pain, having mm. felt that terror, coming back to it and experiencing it all again perpetually, that's... that's mm. the It's the second round that's even... Yeah. That, that answers or goes to your point about issuing this man with the kind of terror and horror that he, I just, I can't even, I just, all I, I mean, I'd like to think that he just snuck up behind her, cut her throat or something and she was dead quickly, but no. I'm sure that's not it's what not happened. It's not that. Yeah, yeah, no. correct. Yeah. Not when you've gone that effort you watched so it. so horrendous, yeah. so horrendous. Oh, yeah, it's just awful. so disturbing. I find it so 
I just like a horror movie. So in terms of my sentencing, this is where I really struggle because I cannot deal with that. I think that anti-hero, anti-establishment thing totally puts you at ease as well. It's like, oh, this guy is here for the, the good of everybody. Mm. He's going to come up with something wonderful. He's wacky. He's zany. He's creative. He's, he's a psychopath. So there are two <laughs> aspects that I would like to address. Fine line, fine line. <laughs> and one aspect, one aspect that I just I don't think I can address. So the two things that I think I, I could look at in terms of things that I think would, would have some impact on him, one relating to his narcissism and the success of his previous company, Copenhagen Suborbital. Mm. Because that, oh, yeah. when he spoke of that, he was so bit, it was like, Angry if you felt that way, if you felt that way, I guarantee you most of us would be, we would be, it would be suffocating us, but we wouldn't air that publicly. We would know that that was giving too much of ourselves away. Do you know what I mean? But mm. when he spoke, he had such venom and I thought, oh, fuck, what's he going to do to them? That's what you actually mm. thought. If you would, if you had looked at it in yeah. a sort of a chronological order, I was like, my God, that guy is going to kill you or do something to you guys or sabotage. Like there were, he, it felt like he would have to come up with a plan to make them not exist. So I would love to see them succeed, but their success has to be with he cannot exist. It's like he was never there. Because remember, he thinks everything that he ever did. He thinks he made it happen. Yeah. So yeah. He, even if they were successful, he'd be like, well, you know, that's because of me. So there has to be them being able to be successful with him never having, be, he existed, could never be mentioned, be existed, be part yeah. of whatever else. But he has to be aware that they have been the first people to be the first, you know, self-banned rocket, that they did all the things that he wanted to achieve because that would really fuck him off. Mm. So I'd be totally up for that. I appreciate it's not very um, macabre, but I, it's a at a really deep level, yeah, yeah. it would really be a psychological nut punch. Thank you. And, again, it plays <laughs> into the same thing with this idea yeah, that the way, <laughs> the way he enjoyed the notoriety and these people being sycophants, whatever else, I'd love to see that this idea of him being nobody, like nothing. Mm. And I suspect that he'd be the person who's sitting in his cell. It wouldn't matter what we do to him. He would know that people are thinking about him or talking about him. He's infamous. And that that would be kind of enough for him in certain ways that at least he's on somebody's mind. He needs to be on nobody's mind, dead without it. it just There's just no story here. There just needs to be nothing so mm. that he is... That people like so it's like that, that, that he'd never existed. That people have no idea he was. He's nobody on any level. There is no memory. It's not like he is no longer somebody. He he never was anyone. No one's even aware who you are. Everyone's been whitewashed. Their brains. They what brain? What you know? We, we've never heard of this guy. Irrelevant. But he's still it's he's been wiped still, from human yeah, memory. He's yeah. still around to see everybody else's successes. You know, and everybody else go on to wonderful, wonderful things. Kim Wall becomes you know a Nobel prize-winning journalist. Journalist, yeah. Yeah. Not that it would really have any impact on him, but just so that he never fucking existed. Excuse my French. He's just, oh, God, what he did to that woman, I can't try and match it does, that. It's, it's just not it, my thing. Biggest but he belief, is yeah. bad to the bone. Yeah. I'm happy so, with he never existed. No one mm. knows who he is. But he lives in a world where he knew what he could have been yeah. and just wasn't. Yeah. And yeah. he can just rot in his own Nasty little yep. maggoty. And with no one aware of him, nobody aware of him at all. He can't contact anybody, no one can contact him. No one knows who he is. No one ever did. It's like it, 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 totally relevant. All right, fair enough. I'll play that. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, well done. All right, 
well, uh, as you said at the beginning, this is pretty dark. Uh, Clark, you know, I was just talking about how we had lots of laughs until that escalated real quick <laughs> and did not go in the direction either of us expected. So it was a well psychological nut crunch, as you would say, yeah. for all of us, yeah. for all of us. So well done, Swanee. That was a good one in a horrible way. You know, I've got nothing else to say, but miss you already. Ciao. Ta-ta. Bye. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.